1: Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Mo Dekeel of the Athletic podcast, including the NBA podcast that they do. Also writes for Bleacher. Also does great work on Twitch and Twitter with his threads and one Mo thing. Lots of great stuff from Mo, and of course, lots of great stuff on this podcast. We go through our biggest takeaways from the first five or so games of the season for every team who's exceeding expectations. Few teams that are falling behind, and Whether those are big problems or little problems, lots of really good stuff here on the Grizzlies and the Sixers and the Nets and plenty of others. Episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use that CLNS50 promo code to let them know that you came from us and to get yourself more importantly a 50% welcome bonus podcast runs a little over 45 minutes lots of great stuff here hope you enjoy thank you so much for coming on oh thank you for having me Danny
0: you know I'll always love chatting hoops with
1: you I love it too and you know it, it's too early in the season to make definitive pronouncements but we'll we'll do our best to talk about what we've seen so far and I wanted to kind of open the floor at the beginning to you I mean there are a lot of different places that you can focus at the start of the season what has stuck out to you so far I'm gonna start
0: on a positive note, and it's it's really the young kids. Mm-hmm. It's 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 the rookies. It's the second year guys, even the third year guys. Like I've been impressed with a lot of the development we've seen. Uh, just let's just start with Desmond Bain. Yes. And just, Just the way he's playing, you know, two consecutive 30 point games uh, attacking off the dribble. And it's more than just shooting like I've, I've I've just been blown away with his development over the last three years. And it's it's just super impressive across the board. And it's just we're seeing this across so many different teams with so many young guys.
1: The ones that have kind of stunned me, and it shouldn't be a surprise considering how well they played in summer league, has been Keegan Murray and Ben Matherin, where rookies are very rarely positive players. And there's still a lot of work for those two gentlemen to do. They're also very young. It's a nice thing that you can do. But like, they're just stepping in and playing. And it's true that neither the Kings nor the Pacers have had the strongest start. But I don't think that's their fault in the slightest. And I, I, you know, guys stepping in and doing things well, and obviously, it's a very different template. But like, I was thinking about Herb Jones last year was like, Herb Jones came in as a better defensive player his rookie year than almost any rookie I can recall and like especially on the like interior defense can be harder for rookies than perimeter defense but i mean we're see- i think we're seeing players come in a little bit like players who are young coming in a little bit more ready to contribute maybe than before
0: it, it, it's almost they're they're coming in more prepared and i don't mean this as a slight to anybody else i just feel like the the knowledge and technology and everything that's kind of trickled down you know is is something that's available to these kids at a younger age and the games more available so they're able to watch more like just think about it back in the day you know, you had to go find a VHS tape. We hear stories of like, I had this VHS tape of Jordan and I watched it a thousand times. And, you know, it was now it's literally you can just turn on social media and you can see all these clips or YouTube or whatever. And I think it's that availability has kind of allowed guys to steady even earlier. And I feel like they're, they're just coming in more advanced than we've ever seen before. So it's, it's, just, it's almost like we have to recalibrate a little bit, Danny, of like what we expect from rookies in some cases.
1: And along those lines... One of my favorite developments that happens is when a player exceeds expectations in their first year and then when you get into their second, you're just like, oh, they're just good now and that's for me where iodotosumu is. Where I would right. assume Moo, he, you know, somebody that I was not familiar with, coming out of Illinois, second round pick, gets thrust into a larger role, given some of the injuries for the Bulls, and does a very good job last year. You know, like he, you know, they weren't, you know, his usage rate was relatively low, but I thought he was doing a pretty good job there, took major, you know, was, was an impressive defensive player, and then now with Lonzo Ball being out for an indeterminate period of time— I would assume who's just stepped in, and like I was watching that game against the Pacers. And yes, the Pacers are not exactly the same type of threat as every other team, but I'm just like, he's an NBA player. Like, it's, it's, you, you reach that point because you always, like, it's building out the sample sizes. It's not like, I mean, the looked like that last year too, but it's, he's better this year and you and you're also proving you know like this is along with Ben Taylor's stuff about like the importance of peaks but outside of that to kind of reinforce the foundation like disumu's just a good nba player
0: yeah i mean it's it goes along the lines too and i think this is where we do have to be careful is development's not just a linear path right you know and 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 there are kind of peaks and valleys and guys are going to you know struggle a little bit in certain situations as they develop and you know sometimes the development's very small and and minute and nobody really notices it And then, you know, then it's a big leap later or it looks like a step back and and things like that. And I think we're just seeing a little bit more of a steady incline with some of these guys. It's 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 just damn impressive. Like, I don't have any it's it's hard to say, like, I'm just kind of blown away by that.
1: It's also great because there are so many of those kind of positive stories all around the league. Like, this is not an isolated circumstance. And another guy, he was a higher pedigree prospect, but like Evan Mobley last year. And he's, you know, that's he'll be another one with the offensive part of it where development comes and fits and starts and it doesn't get all the way there. And I've been thinking a little bit over the start of the season about, like, there were these offensive comparisons made. And I think they're reasonable back when Mobley was, was coming out of college to, like, Well, he could maybe do some of the stuff that Bam Adebayo does. And what's been interesting is they have different personality traits. They're in different schemes and all that. But there are challenges maximizing, actualizing kind of that that niche of a big man who can handle the ball a little bit, can pass it a little bit, doesn't have the jumper all the way there yet. And so it's funny because Bam is obviously miles further down the path than Evan Mobley, though I, I think Mobley can do that but we're get, like bam is running into like the like the kind of the first world problems and mobley's running into some of the second world problems of the same position archetype.
0: Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting in the sense of like mobley for example also has to deal with a massive change on the roster. Yes. in his second year, right? So now it changes things and how do you play defensively? How are you playing offensively? How will you mesh with with Donovan Mitchell and things like that? I think mobley is going to be one of those guys we're going to look at Three or four years from now, and be like this dude's unbelievable, and I think he'll even surpass Bam in terms of uh, uh, a comp. I just think wow. it's going to. I think it's going to take time. I'm a little low on Bam lately, so it's <laughs> it's. I've been a bit frustrated with him over the past year, so um, the, the, that that made that shouldn't come as too much of a surprise. But I just think he's got the tools necessary. He does. Have know? The,
1: he does. Like, and and that was the mm. part about evaluating Mobley as a prospect, where it's like you could see a lot of different outcomes, and the defense is already like that's more of an established commodity now I was wondering about that but with the motor and everything else like he's just been better there and then offensively it'll be a challenge but the big difference and we're seeing Bam try this a little bit too is I still think especially when your team has some really good offensive players that unless you're Nikola Jokic or some of those other elite 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 guys you know like you don't necessarily want to run the offensive Mobile he's a natural offensive complement, but the the component there that can really help is a jump shot because then if it's like it's the thing that can make a lower usage player a higher utility player because then if they have to physically be further out on the floor guarding you whether you're in the primary action or not it makes things easier and when i watch mobley shoot i've been watching him you know this year and the end of last year it's like it's coming along i don't think it's there yet i don't think it's a guarantee that it will ever be like i don't think he's the next kevin love or anything necessarily but it looks good and that's a really positive start
0: yeah and it's it's promising
1: and again it's 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 going to take a little bit of
0: a process for him to get there offensively But I just think once he does, we're going to look at it and say this is a very impressive array of talent and skills. I think he has the I think more of the drive to get there than I think Bam has. I think Bam has kind of taken a little bit of a step back offensively. And I feel like the I don't necessarily expect that from Mobley. And I think part of it is going to be if this Cavs team is going to be as good as they think they're going to be in two years. It's going to be because Mobley has become the best player on that team. And that's that's what's going to be required of him. And I think they're going to push him to that. Whereas I don't think that's required of Bam in Miami right now.
1: It's an interesting parallel between Mobley and Anthony Edwards in that same respect where it's like they have this moment where there are justifiably players that are higher than them in the pecking order because of the success that they've had. And the one difference between the Cavs and the Wolves is that the Cavs players are all around the same age and the Wolves players are more varied in terms of age. But the idea that their ceiling is more determined by this young guy and figuring out what in the world they are, in part because they're a more uncertain commodity and the idea that we don't know exactly what Anthony Edwards is going to be we don't know exactly what Evan Mobley is going to be and when you have more variants that gives you the possibility of going higher and that's that's the hope and not everyone's going to get there but that is the hope
0: yeah and I think that's just the way it, it it goes and just sort of like what we're just going to have to wait and see and and how these things develop over the next few years it's not something that's going to just happen overnight that we're going to be like mid-season this year and say oh it's done like I think people were expecting that of Anthony Edwards already And I think that was a bit unfair to him. Uh, Again, another team with a a massive roster change. And I think, you know, it's going to take a little bit more time to kind
1: of just figure things out as they get going. We're still super early. You know, most teams have played four, maybe five, six games. And I... Typically, don't focus as much on championship level teams in the early going, especially in certain cases because they're kind of injured. However, what I kind of look at, I, I, I like to call it like I, I wear glasses. I take my glasses off and kind of blurry vision. Like, mm. can I see? Can I see the outlines of? a really, really good team. And so there are kind of two different things that I'm looking for in the early part of a season. So number one is, are those high-end teams showing the outlines of what I expected? Like the pathways that they can, when we're getting into March and April, do the things that they need to do. And then the other one is... Is there anyone that was outside of that group when I was evaluating before the season that either is now in that group or has a better chance than I expected? And one of the things that I find interesting about the start of this year is there have been a lot of teams that have exceeded expectations. And we'll talk about some of them undoubtedly over the course of this podcast. With one potential exception, which we'll discuss in a second, I haven't seen any team where I just went, oh, like this is a different step. This is a whole. Different animal than what we've seen before at the top levels.
0: Yeah, I haven't. I've actually been more disappointed with the teams at the top level.
1: Yeah, me too. Than,
0: than anything else, um, I feel like I don't know if it's easing into the season across the board with a lot of teams. Like you know, just like take the Warriors for example. I think the Warriors are playing this season pretty smart. If this is how they're going to do it all year, is focus on developing the young kids and giving them a ton of minutes. Cause I think they're going to need them a ton in the playoffs. And I think that, especially in the first, you know, 20 to 30 games of the season, I think it's going to be really important for Steve Kerr to figure out what he has in James Wiseman, Moses Moody, um, even Jonathan Kamingo, although it looks like he's already out of the rotation. Um, I, 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 I I'm okay with what they're doing in that sense, but everybody else I'm looking at and I'm just kind of scratching my head of like, are you guys? Did you guys not know the season started yet, or are you still like in preseason mode? Even it's 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 kind of been a weird start for some of these top level teams that we we expected to be at the top already.
1: Philadelphia seems like a logical place to go with that, and I mean, not not they're one and four. It's not really the the record part of it. And for me with Philly, the concern was always the defensive end. It was can they like? Because I mean, you have. Harden and Embiid and Maxi, like you're going to be a good offensive team. They have supporting talent. But, and I'm not going to go wild over a five game sample, but they're, I, I would say they're giving up pretty good shots and they're going in at a, a rate that you wouldn't really love. They're, I believe, 29th in opponent effective field goal percentage so far this year. And we have gotten some additional context with Joel Embiid battling plantar fasciitis during the offseason, but he has to be the best player in most of their playoff series if they're going to be a real threat to win four playoff series in a row and October, November isn't March, April, but I'm not seeing the Embiid that I'm going to need to see. I mean, I'm not seeing the Philadelphia I need to see. Sure,
0: on both ends of the court, and, and you're right on Embiid. I don't think it's it's easy to. I don't think it's a a hard case to make. You know, just watch him getting back on defense, especially in that Milwaukee game. Like I thought, incredibly slow and and whatnot, and we could blame it on the plantar fasciitis or or, or conditioning and things like that. But it just looked effort level was very low in terms of that department. I feel like their transition defense has been incredibly poor and a lot of it has to do with how sloppy they've been on offense with live ball turnovers that have led to fast breaks and, and open opportunities for other teams. I feel like offensively, you have four or five guys with different agendas. Yeah. And 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 that's the issue. And, and, and to kind of just lay it out, Embiid's trying to be the MVP this year, which, by the way, he should try to be that. That's the only w- – their, their pathway to success is through Joel Embiid. You have James Harden trying to prove that he's not washed and that the, the past year was just kind of a, a fabrication. Uh, the Tyrese Maxey trying to show his improvement in his games. Tobias Harris trying to show that he's not an actual waste of money. Uh, I feel like they're in this weird environment where they have everybody pulling in different directions and nobody pulling in the same and, and, and I feel like it just leads to a lot of like confusion offensively of what they're trying to do.
1: It's a really good point. And it, this is a challenging coaching job for Doc Rivers because you have a lot of different forces pulling in different directions. And we don't know how long their window is. I mean, that's going to depend as much on Embiid's health and Harden and like how long they can keep because they, they added a lot of talent this offseason for relative to the capacity they had to like spend and everything else. But usually you do that by either adding players that are weird fits or who are a little older or something else and you know how how much PJ Tucker has and everything else so like it's I, I've brought this up with LeBron in the last couple of years as well, where it's it's even more pressure when you when you don't have that many bites at the apple left. And my instinct on the Sixers is they only have a couple. I mean,
0: it's it's really kind of sad watching it. Like I I was never in on the idea of you should go trade for James Harden. Like I felt like that was Daryl Morey trying to just reunite with his long lost love. I felt like it was a bad idea in the beginning. It's it's not looking fruitful now. I just don't think they play well together. On top of that, the other aspect, too, that I find interesting of this team is they don't play with pace in the half court. They don't play at all in transition, although they probably have one of the fastest players in the league in Tyrese Maxey. Like, I just, I don't know what their plan is. And then I, and then all of that bleeds into their defense because, like you said, the defense was always going to be questionable when you had your backcourt of Maxi and Harden, and you have Joel Embiid constantly in drop. He can't be in drop if those are the two guys coming off of the screens. It's just not going to work. Like I don't trust those guys to fight over the top of screens and uh, to, to buy and be time to be in that drop situation. It's going to put them in a, a, a tough spot. Like I have a lot of questions across the board, all the way to the coaching, and I just think they're in a, a it's a fascinating spot because we were most people were, were lauding their their. Off- Season of how great it was, and a lot of the moves and the pickups. And then you're watching it now, and I'm like, this team looks terrible. It's a tough watch.
1: Along those lines, and it might have just been that I hadn't fully articulated. You talked about the agendas, but like the way that Philly's offense flows or doesn't flow at times, where yeah, if you have James Harden and Joel Embiid on the floor, running a fair amount of high pick and roll with those two guys, that's going to create problems for a lot of opponents. But you also have Tyrese Maxey, who is a damn good player, who has improved a lot over his two-plus years in the league. And what has been frustrating to me is the idea that there are stretches, especially at the beginning of the first and third, where they're just not even considering that Tyrese Maxey is a human being that exists on their All basketball right. floor. And they are two problems with that. One is, like, he's a very good player, he should be touching the ball, and the other is, that to me, whether it's that the you know, you're letting Harden and Embiid run the show and they're calling their own numbers a lot, or you know, like Doc is just a little bit tunnel vision-y, it to me it shows a lack of I'll guess I'll call it coaching discipline, with the idea of like, hey, we have this other good player who actually has very good synergy with Joel Embiid, and as Jared Dubin has brought up, like James Harden could be a capable catch and shoot player. He doesn't like taking catch and shoot threes, but he could do it. And so that they're leaving so much there is it's more than frustrating for me it's concerning because when it's not happening you have to think about why it's not happening and almost all of the answers to the why question aren't exactly positive
0: yeah and it's it's frustrating because for me I think Maxi has to be the second best player on this team. I think Harden has to play more of a distributor role even in in that sense and, and get in the pick and roll to get the ball to Maxi and let him attack the second side. I think that's a, a tool they don't use often, but I think it's a very strong one that should be used more. Um, the why of all of this, is the is the perplexing part, and this is also we should acknowledge a very tough coaching job. Yes, this is not; these are not easy personalities. Just Joel Embiid and James Harden alone are not easy personalities to coach. It's it's very difficult for for Doc to kind of figure who to you know, to, to how to get the right mix of this, you know, cause there should be some, you're right. The high pick and roll with Harden and Embiid should be a regular thing in the offense. So should Embiid in the post be. So should Maxi on the second side, you know, and then, then trying to find opportunities for Harris. He's got a lot of mouths to feed and not enough food. And I think that's the difficult part of this job and trying to find that, that right mix offensively and that flow. None of it has come together as quickly as you would hope you know it's 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 a very difficult position to be in as a coach and i just find this i i i really feel like we're heading towards a disaster in philly
1: i want to throw one more stat out there again we are dealing with extremely small sample sizes here so far but unpredictable does basically it's time i mean they have a bunch of great stats but one of them is the time before a team takes their shot and so it's it's a version it's kind of like a more nuanced version of things like pace and they separate it into offense and defense here's philadelphia so far through five games. Time to shoot overall 30th in the league time to shoot after a opponent made shot 30th in the league time to shoot after grabbing a defensive rebound 25th in the league time to shoot after forcing a turnover 30th in the league
0: yeah I mean you're you're not getting any transition out of this you're not pushing the ball at all a lot of your offense is stagnant staying still like there's just how many possessions have we seen Danny where you know either Embiid or Harden they get the ball and it just stops even Harden coming off of a screen it's not like he comes off the screen and gets downhill a lot he comes off the screen and sort of just starts to survey and it's and to see if he got the switch he wanted and it's it's kind of a such a slow slow offense with two of the slowest players, I think it puts them in, in. It always puts them up against the shot clock, and it's that's just a tough place to live, you know, for an entire season, let alone through potential playoff runs.
1: The one team I, I want to switch to a positive. We've just dwelled a little bit on the negative here. Um, one team that I see some of the faint outlines. You brought up one player from them earlier that. I don't know if it's going to be top tier, but they might be moving up a level for me as Memphis. And Memphis, it's interesting because it's going to have to be sequential evaluation with them without Jaron Jackson Jr. Like, it's just, you know, they're not the same level team and, you know, a small sample size. But Memphis is currently 27th in defense. Don't want to go too nuts on that. But the reason why is because I'm seeing more from John Morant and I'm seeing more from Desmond Bain. And, like, with Ja, I mean, Nate and I did the... NBA strategy stream on on the game they played against Brooklyn. And I mean, if he can... He's not actually taking so far more threes by per game per 36 minutes and again small sample but he's making more than half of them if that 34% goes to 38 or even 40 over a full season with everything else that John ja Morant does you start to get into defensive red alerts in almost all circumstances and that is really really good for the Memphis Grizzlies
0: yeah i mean Ja's been another guy that's been phenomenal to start the season with how he's playing and and i just feel like the the confidence is there in the shot more- more than ever before, you know, and I feel like he's the the confidence and just so comfortable in it, you know, and willing to to, to shoot it off the dribble spot ups, all of those things. The, I kind of thought Memphis might take a step back this season, and I still kind of think they will, even though they started out really well. Just looking at their schedule, it wasn't the toughest schedule, uh, apart from that back-to-back where they had to play Dallas on the second night. But I just think they're a team to keep an eye on in the way that they play is they just keep coming at you, and they don't stop. And the numbers that he's putting up, like, it's MVP-level pace, and uh, again, super early to start talking MVP. But you're just watching this, and you're saying, like, he's the engine that makes this thing go. The only thing that really scares me, Danny, is anytime Dylan Brooks is on the floor.
1: It is the most... Concerning part of Memphis's kind of offseason overall is that they've lined all their ducks in a row to give Dylan Brooks a big contract this coming summer, and I'm just like, oh god, I just don't trust him. Like you know, like they're and he can play well defensively, but taking bad shots and being very comfortable with that because eventually, like he might settle in, especially with how well Bain has played the last two games, to just be like, oh, this is just the only thing that I can do. But there is this big problem, and it's the fun of you and I um, spending like kind of being around the league for a long time now is this idea that there are players who are better helping you get to the mountain and getting you halfway up the mountain than taking you all the way to the top and sometimes those players just get better and all of a sudden they become the second stage and that's great that's what we're hoping for for everybody most of the time they don't. most of the time you start to see those weaknesses those things come into the forefront and you go crap I'm very thankful for what they did, but now we need to pivot. Now we need to upgrade. Now we need to do all this. And I thought Memphis. That's why I called. I I was so focused on them in the off season. It's like they could add that real upgrade, add a number two or number three best player. And now with how Desmond Bain's going, like you could do that. So. Yes, I agree with your concern.
0: Yeah, I I just feel like, you know, they're, they're a very interesting team. One, they're exciting as hell to watch.
1: You know, it's... Pro- it's probably the most fun team to watch game to game. It's bet- To me, it's between them and the Warriors.
0: Yeah, and I feel like it's it's just constant excitement. You know, Ja's going to give you two or three highlights a game. Not, not two or three highlights a week. Like, two or three a game where he does something and you're like, I didn't think that was humanly possible. I think his... The big part will be we have to see what this team looks like when Jaron Jackson Jr. comes back and what the defense looks like because he's the he's the defense, right? Like he was a potential, you know, in the running for defensive player of the year last year. I feel like this is the guy that can make a run at it again, although he'll probably have missed too many games depending on when he comes back. But he if he can bump them up defensively, you know, out of that. You know, low 20s range into just like the 17, 16 range. Their their offense will carry the rest of the way for them. It's it's going to be a really interesting team. It's like you said, we, we kind of have to evaluate them on two different scales, just pre-Jaron Jackson uh, coming back, and then once he comes back, because that's really the whole thing. When they're a whole, now we'll really see what they're about.
1: The other fascination with Memphis is they have these tentpole players, and yes, Jared is out, but they have these guys that are really good, and one huge positive of star level and even like supporting star level players is that you're asking less of everyone else and with Memphis, the other spots they actually have a lot of different players that could ideally fit, even after losing Melton and Kyle Anderson this summer. And so, one of the things that I'm going to try to keep an eye on over the course of the season is who can step into those roles. And I would say it's been a positive start for Stephen Adams. He, you know, I I have gained a greater appreciation for what Stephen Adams is, especially on the offensive end. Like being an unbelievable screener makes a world of difference for John Morant, as great as he is. Like you can get that, it opens up some opportunities. I was critical of of them trading Valentinus for Steven Adams I will admit inc- being incorrect on that But then it's also like, at some point, I mean, it sounds like it's going to be more like six weeks from now. Zaire Williams will come back and whether he can step into a larger role. And then, you know, Jaron is a part of their frontcourt future. Steven Adams is a part of their frontcourt future because they just extended him for two more years. But if Brandon Clark or Xavier Tillman or Santi Aldama, who I've liked a lot more this year, or Roddy or Conchar or Jake Laravia can take a step up, this team can really use them. So it's a circumstance where they don't have as much heat on it, where if all of those you know if if all of those guys aren't quite what we hope they are the grizzlies are going to be bad or anything like that no they're they're damn good either way and they don't need as much from those guys but if any one of them steps up it's it's a complimentary flavor that works really well
0: if if any of those guys steps up it's the difference of being you know, uh, a really fun playoff team to being an actual contender. Like just think about it this way, looking at last year, what would the Warriors have been if it wasn't for Gary Payton the second, if it wasn't for Otto Porter Jr. stepping up in, in, in opportunities? And they played a small role in it, but them stepping up made it easier for guys like Steph and, and 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 allowed the Warriors to become the Warriors. That's what those other guys' jobs to be. Step find a way to step up so you can make it easier for John Morant. Just a little bit easier. Make it a little bit easier for Desmond Bain. And That small difference is is really what separates you from being, hey, a fun, fun fun-ass playoff team to a, hey, this team's legitimately a contender and we could see them winning the championship this year.
1: Plenty more with Mo, but first a message from betonline.ag. Basketball is back, and BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You will always find the latest odds, team matchup information, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests and live scores, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. So you can use the CLNS50 promo code to get your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So head to betonline.ag to join, and remember to use the CLNS50 promo code to receive your rewards at BetOnline, where the game starts. Something I think of as a useful exercise when we're in this early, early stage of the season is so I I go to clean the glass and I go to opponent shooting percentages and so basically the idea is especially for three point shots you can do more to control the volume of threes rather than whether they actually go in or not and when you're dealing with a smaller sample you get more variance and everything else like that and so I like to go through I'll do it from five to one the teams that have had the strongest opponent shooting luck and then we can talk about that a little bit and then the teams that have had the worst like so the teams that opponents have drilled a ton of threes on them and because it's interesting in terms of where those teams fit in so these are the ones that you would expect to see a you would expect to see opponents shoot better and so you think put that into their defensive numbers um fifth most lucky the clippers then the bucks then the knicks who have basically been on this list for three years now <laughs> the jazz and the hornets
0: it, that's that's kind of fascinating. Um, I think the so just so I'm aware and, and and speaking properly, sure. This is this is
1: teams just missing open shots against them. Well, they don't necessarily have to be open. It's total. It's total threes not in garbage time. Gotcha. And so for I'll I'll, I'll place it out. So the median in last year's full season and right now in the abbreviate in the partial season is about thirty six percent. Right now in non garbage time, Utah opponents have shot thirty percent on threes, and Charlotte opponents have shot twenty seven percent percent on threes.
0: Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. Well, you know, cause it's some of these teams we're thinking that aren't going to have good defenses, you know, like Charlotte. So it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I find shot luck to be a, a, a little bit of a hard thing for me to deal with sometimes, Danny. Sure. Of you know, uh, like, for example, the Knicks, like you said, they've been there for three years. Is it something they're doing or are they just on an incredible hot streak and they should go play the lotto right now? Like it's it's a weird it's a weird sort of thing. But some of it is just the the game plan is we're giving up these shots and we'll live with it. And some nights it's going to work, some nights it won't. And they're going to give up threes as long as they protect the paint. They're confident they can win. I mean, that's how the Bucks won a championship. So I think like that's that's the the challenge there. It's an interesting list to be on cuz like the Clippers have not looked very good and teams are are not making shots like that worries me for them cuz what happens when teams start making shots they're really going to start to struggle I, right. I I I find it to be really interesting in that department you know like that's the team I look at when they're on that list I'm like I wouldn't want to be on that list with how bad they've been playing
1: Exactly cuz it's the idea is well this is something that's been that you expect to get worse for you even if it ends up being slightly worse as opposed to like you know all the way back down and and i noted that the other two were in the like 20s um the Clippers, it's 32% which is worse than the median but not like as hilariously. like that's probably i don't i don't i don't know standard deviations one but that's it's closer to the bell on the bell on the bell curve than the edge and so that's something to consider. but for me so eventually why i like it is i i build on that with what m watching the teams cuz I'm seeing every team at least once, ideally twice every 2 weeks in either in a whole game or a half game. And so for the with Charlotte, like I watched a lot of that game that they played against the Knicks and my concern with that percentage is there were a fair amount of shots that they gave up that were good looks for good shooters. And so what that means to me is generally that's something prime for regression. That is, sure. you're getting a little bit lucky. And teams get lucky. Teams can even be lucky over 40 games, over 60 games, over 82 games. It happens. But I wouldn't expect that. And with Charlotte, considering even with that intense opponent shooting luck, they're... And like, they're, they've had been a success story. When you consider the context, like, Charlotte is a very good story right now in the NBA. They're 15th in defense, but they're 15th in defense being bottom towards the bottom of the league in two of the four factors, and the only one where they're in the... Really in the top half of the league is opponent effective field goal percentage so it's like okay their defense has been 15th it's probably still not that good and that's fine like that's that's not where they are like they can still be they depending on what happens when LaMelo gets back they can still be a couple of different levels in the east and then we can shift to the other side and so for the other side the way that I like to phrase this in the early early part of the season is maybe you shouldn't be freaking out quite so much just yet and so I brought up where the median like the median is 36 percent on threes all five of these teams so far are have made 41 percent or more of their threes and here's the list from from fifth unluckiest to most unlucky brooklyn boston sacramento chicago and indiana
0: yeah i mean you know when you, when indiana we know just kind of like that this whole year is a tanking year so the i don't think
1: i, w- the, I don't think they're crushed by being last in opponents two, three, three, yeah they're they're they're, they're
0: they're they're actually hoping they can do better at that you know they're, they're trying to be 31st um so i think that's kind of where they're at with that but i think it's it's Interesting, because like Boston is a team we consider to be a good defensive team. And it's just, hey, other guys are hitting shots and, you know, obviously missing a big part of their defense in Robert Williams, who does a good job switching out and and does a good job eliminating threes, just opportunities for guys to take threes. I think it's it's something I would be all of those teams besides Brooklyn and Indiana. I wouldn't panic. If I'm Brooklyn, I'd be worried just because your defense hasn't looked good in any part, any level of the game. No. You know, and so it's like, it's kind of like we were saying before where it's with Charlotte, like, look, this is the best stat for your defense. Everything else is bad. Like we're, we're, we're expecting it to, you're not going to be a good defense. These other teams, I expect that number to drop down just over time. But I think the, 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 the Nets in particular that's a worrying number because I don't feel like we don't protect the paint well we're small we don't rebound well and now we're giving up you know one of the highest percentages on threes like we're really screwed defensively you know just last night Dallas hits twenty threes on them they blow them out in overtime with a barrage of threes because they didn't figure out how they could stop Luka Doncic like that's that's a worrying concern for Br- the team on that list I'd be most worried right now is Brooklyn.
1: Especially because Brooklyn has expectations. Like, that's the—and the, and so the part I didn't get into, uh, and this is a good place to go now, of the—I I talked about how, the, like, the Boreal outlines may be the team that's moving up a tier as Memphis, but the concern are the teams that might be moving down. And so for Brooklyn, yes, they're getting Seth Curry back at some point soon. That will help. Maybe at some point they'll have TJ Warren, who will actually be a huge part for them, if he can be anything close to what he was pre-injury, just to have another wing in the rotation. Like, it was a, a great— role- of the dice for me if he can get back. And we have no idea what in the world that timeline is going to be. So for Brooklyn, it was the incandescence of their stars offensively, but then can they put together a defensive identity? And remember, they couldn't do that at all in the playoffs last year. And that was a huge part of why they got swept. They would have lost to the Celtics either way, but they could have lost in five or six, something like that. And in order for them to be a I would say even a second level championship team you have to be able to believe that their offense can get to at least passable like that's there's there is no other path it is too hard the league is too good right now for a team with a below average defense to have a real chance of winning a title other than with serious injury luck.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's one of those things with Brooklyn. You're just looking at like, you know, I thought they made improvements on their roster this year. They got a little bit bigger on the wings, you know, just by adding Royce O'Neal, uh getting Joe Harris back just size wise. I mean, we know Joe Harris isn't going to be just an unbelievable defender, but it's, you know, just the size would help them in that sense. And 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 obviously Ben Simmons, I thought would be much better. He's been God awful at this point in this, you know, early part of the season. I think the there's there's no expectation of this team winning a championship after what we've seen of the first five games. There's just no evidence of it. There's nothing you could point to that says, well, this is positive. Even their offense doesn't look that good, you know. And a lot of it is, you know, Kyrie who shot pretty well towards the end of the game yesterday has struggled from three though coming into that game. KD is still kind of you know unbelievable scorer, but there's no real cohesiveness in their offense where again you feel comfortable with it. It's not that different than Philly in the sense of. Of like, I, I don't know what their offensive game plan is, you know, and then you're starting two non shooters in Simmons and Claxton. Like there's really no upside on this team right now that I could feel like, well, this will improve over time. Like I just, they need to make some massive changes in how they're strategizing. And I think that's one of their bigger issues right now. And I think they're you 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 just can't look at this team and even think like this is a playoff team.
1: It's pretty striking. And I mean, the positive for them, I guess, was that Katie and Kyrie are looking healthy, and that that could be a, you know those two guys can take you a long way. And the we we've, we've seen a few more faint positives from Ben Simmons over the last day or so, like the last couple days. But he, the hope was that he was going to help a lot of this stuff, not solve it. No, but nobody can solve that all by themselves. But that he could help it, and especially. What he's been doing to them offensively and that's actually the bigger concern defensively yeah maybe maybe Simmons isn't quite the same player or maybe it's going to take him some time I both of those would not surprise me but the mentality and he's gotten a little little bit more aggressive but the idea like basically I don't think of him as additive when Durant and Kyrie are on the floor offensively
0: yeah I mean I just I also don't know how they're using him offensively when he's on the floor with those guys. Sure. You know, it's, it's you know, like my, my envision of when they got him was, one, be a super fast team. And we see it, like when they do get going in transition, they look good in transition. You know, they do a good job of when they do get a stop, getting it out quickly, running the floor, and finding opportunities there. I feel like they're in the half-court set, you know, there's so many other areas that are untapped. You know, they, in the Milwaukee game, I thought they got some good stuff out of post splits with Simmons and KD in the post finding guys and cutters for threes and and stuff like that you don't see any of it in their next game completely gone the next game they don't they don't run it at all against Dallas and then on top of all that like I just don't know why they don't try to use Simmons more as a playmaker with the ball in his hands and have Kyrie and KD screen for each other and work off of that action like that would just be just a three-man game between the three of those guys would be a disaster. And I know everybody's saying like, well, they'll just crowd the paint with Simmons. Well, assuming he ever gets aggressive again, that's a great opportunity for him to just fake the handoff and go straight into a dunk, you know, or or, or get to the rim and put pressure on a defense. So I think that's the, just haven't seen any of that and it's it's i'm just shocked by it.
1: it it's funny like you don't think of like oh you should watch film of a younger player but the so john morant has done an unbelievable job attacking the way that teams are dropping against him he cut he eliminates the space so quickly and ben simmons at his best has done that too but i think that's the biggest thing that he could get back to is because if he gets like a step or two he's a very fast player for his size and he's a big dude like i remember the first time i saw him in person i'm like oh shit like this guy's huge like, he's huge he's 69610 and like pretty built and and moves well for moves well for his size as well. So cut that space down and now you've created an advantage out of a disadvantage. And he can actually do that element of it better than Draymond Green. There are everything else he does offensively worse than Draymond Green. But that part actually his passing is better too. Um but that like it, it's the idea of I don't have to I don't have to dominate the ball. I don't have to dominate the game. But in these specific circumstances, this is what I have to do. And it only works if I do it aggressively and quickly.
0: Yeah, and it's just kind of, it's sad. Like for me, in general, I feel like when teams sag off a guy so much, you know, it's it's almost like they're giving you a runway to attack. And it's almost like that's perfect for a guy like Ben Simmons's size, you know, with his abilities and his skills, able to move and, and things like that. And as you said, he's done well with that in the past. Ja is great at it. You know, it's, it's, it's I call it just, you know, chewing up real estate, you know, anytime they're giving you that space take it. You know, they're, they're putting you closer to the rim. You know, it's an easier opportunity there. And I, I I hope we see it. Like, I'm I'm, I'm rooting hard for the kid, you know, just in the sense of, like, I want to see him kind of bounce back because he's a hell of a player when he was going, you know, and, and he had his flaws and whatnot. But, like, man, he was a potential defensive player of the year type guy. He was an all-NBA level passer and things like that. Like, we just haven't seen any of that. And I'm just hoping he can start to find that. And you're right. There are touches of aggression we're slowly seeing ramp up. It just needs to get going quicker and, and needs to be more consistent in that sense for, for him and for the Nets. They just need it desperately.
1: They do need it desperately, and getting more depth will help. But as you mentioned, like there are underlying things that are concerns that are, are, are going to be there. I haven't, you know, because the idea of like reliable, like of, of how much value are we getting? I haven't watched a ton of the Clippers yet because Kawhi Leonard hasn't played a ton yet, and the weirdness of the role that he's playing. Have you watched enough of the Clippers to get a sense of whether this is big wrong or a little wrong?
0: I think this is big wrong. Interesting, um, and and it's it's so funny because I'm I was so high on this team going into this season, assuming good health, right? And I I go into every season and just say everybody in my mind, everybody that's healthy is going to just stay healthy, and I know that's. You know, not real, but that's just how I approach it. And I thought, hey, if this team stays healthy, they're going to be unbelievable. And then just the first few games I've watched of them, their offense is so bad. And it's not just it's not just, well, they don't have Kawhi out there. It's that it's just so one on one centric with everybody on the court except for Zubac you know, everybody gets an opportunity to go ISO. I'm talking about like Marcus Morris getting one-on-one opportunities and things like that. It's, there's no flow, there's no system to it, you know, and, and and I feel like it's so ISO driven that it's actually turned me off into thinking this team really has a chance. It's, it's, they got to fix their offense. It's, it's, it's something that's, really awkward and off-putting you know in the game that they beat the lakers it was just there was there was opportunities to run stuff you can run stuff into an isolation but they're literally just dribbling down the court and it's one guy the entire time and it's it's something that it's it's got to change for this team.
1: I was you know I was looking through the stats and I thought this was absolutely jaw dropping in the early going. The Clippers are simultaneously dead last in offensive turnover rate. They're turning it over on eighteen percent of their p- offensive possessions and dead last in opponent turnover rate. Opponents are only turning it over on ten point five percent. And a small sample size. They haven't had some of their best players a lot of the time. And when they've been available, they've been. But that is like a very a very big big problem just in terms of like I brought it up before like last year in terms of the nets like if you you have to get some of the low-hanging fruit like the ultimate one of the ultimate teams for this for years was the Spurs it's like if you don't turn the ball over and you force some turnovers then you just give yourself more chances to get shots even if you're not the best shot creators so that's a concern and then I'll mention that there is a team very, very early in the season that is doing the reverse, and that is the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Thunder right now forcing turnovers on 17.3% of opponent possessions and only turning it over on 11.5% of their own.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. Like, just look at the last game the Clippers played, coincidentally, against the Thunder. Yep. Right? And and in that game, they had 19 turnovers, the Thunder had 11, and at the end of the day, the, the Thunder got 13 more shots. Like that's just that's that's the ball game. It, it, you get more bites at the apple. It's that simple, you know, and, and the clipper's lost. And and it's just along those lines of, you know, it's the most important thing is taking care of the ball. Turnovers kill you. And especially live ball turnovers. I'd love to see what the clipper stats are on on live ball turnovers. Um but like the those Really are backbreakers because it's a possession you had a chance to score and you didn't even get a shot up, and those kill you. And I think that's kind of the the, the problem with the offense that the Clippers are running is there's no real organized structure, you know. And, and and I think that's the most important thing. Like just think about it this way, and and go back to the days when Phil Jackson was coaching the Lakers and it was just Kobe and Powell and and stuff like that. They had a structure of the triangle. And out of the triangle, then Kobe would go one on one. But they got movements, they got defense moving, they got sh- they got they got actions involved first, and then there'd be a one on one action. That's fine, that's good stuff right there. Because sometimes you're going to score just off the act, action, you go one on one. But I think the challenge that the Clippers have to face is they got to find a structure that works for them, you know. And I feel like they're really in a, in a in a difficult spot, sort of developing that, especially when you have a guy like Kawhi who's in and out of the lineup you're going to have pg who's going to have days he's going to rest you're going to have john wall who's going to have days they're going to rest like it's it, there's no way to build that continuity offensively
1: it's a great point and it, it's something to consider moving forward I will note very briefly that the Warriors are seventh in offense despite being second to last in turnovers but they're also they have Stephen Curry they'll, they'll, they'll be okay he just um,
0: nukes everything he he's not fair he just you, you saw what he did last night He I just was there sticks yeah, yeah and I mean you, you have a front row seat on most nights he just nukes it,
1: it this, it's incredible um I'm sure we could go in a bunch of other directions so instead I will ask you the question I like to do a lot in the early season what teams what players what stories are you going to be focusing on? over the next two weeks like what what is the what is the next stage in mo's evaluation
0: yeah i think it's that's a good question because i probably haven't i put, can give you
1: one go go
0: for it i haven't put too much thought into. i
1: haven't yet. watched the celtics much yet mm-hmm. and they play the Cavs. we're recording this on friday they play the Cavs on on friday night i'm pretty sure i'm gonna watch that because I, I need to get more of a sense for them we haven't done them on the on the live show or anything like that and I, you know, I've watched a lot of Orlando, but I want to watch a little bit more of some of these, some of these young teams to get a sense of like okay, where are they going? Where are they right now? Like, um, OKC maybe when they're playing a team that isn't the Clippers I'll I'll give them a little bit of a look-see. Like what I always like to do with young teams is watch them against other young teams because they, it kind of balances out some of the forces sometimes so that'll be an interesting one um, for me. And then you always wonder in this early going so probably philly is is going to be one here we talked about them at length earlier in this podcast of like maybe i'll maybe i'll watch that game they play so it'll be the return game against the raptors on friday and just be like is like it first snapshot do i think some of this stuff is fixable or is this is this you know is it a big wrong or is it a little wrong like uh, with with teams like that that are not living up to my expectations and with brooklyn i think i know and with philly i don't yet
0: yeah i think so for me these are the the, the three real storylines that I haven't locked into yet that I that I, I, I really want to dive deep into one it's Atlanta mm-hmm. and how is the pairing with DeJounte Murray and Trey Young working because there are there are times where they play off of each other and I think that's great and then there are times where Trae's gonna go one-on-one pick and roll and they just park Murray in the corner and if I'm a defense I'm that's perfect that's exactly what I want because now I'm just gonna leave Murray and, and dare him to shoot because he's just not a good enough spot up shooter yet I I, I want to dive a little deeper into that. I want to figure out what's going on in Minnesota and how, how that's looking. I know it's going to take a little time because that being a big change with, with just figuring out offensively how, how will it work with Rudy and Cat on the court together. Because if they're going to do anything in the playoffs, they have to figure that out. You know, I I, I think their best lineup is going to be Cat at center at the end of the, the the day, but it's going to be tough to put Rudy on the bench after you've given up a million draft picks for him. So they're going to have to figure that that thing out. I kind of want to keep an eye on that. And I think the other team I just want to watch because they're fun as hell is New Orleans yep it's just fun they play hard and 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 whether Zion's on the court game or not they go hard and I I I
1: enjoy watching them the win they had over Dallas on national tv must have been so satisfying for partisans like I I was satisfied as a non like as a non Pelicans fan just as an analyst like playing without their best players and did it through like having guys step up and also just like playing good defense working hard out there to get a win over a very good team and the Pels I enjoy watching them in basically all of their iterations which is a very rare thing like there their teams thankfully Dwayne Casey has changed the rotations a little bit but like there there were some Pistons lineups that were truly ghastly out there but like the pelicans partially due to their their just like incredible level of depth like they're playing guys that are interesting to watch pretty much at every spot all 48 minutes
0: and it's just when when you look at it it's this is a team that's not that different from the Grizzlies in the sense of they've drafted so well over the years and and if and Found guys that that people have overlooked, just the Jose Alvarados, the Trey Murphys, and and, and things like that, where you're just kind of like, man, they they always have guys that are that are playing hard that are fun to watch,
1: and they might be getting a lottery pick this year, and not oh, their own. Oh god, god, that that's that's one of the more, more compelling
0: side. That's one of the reasons to watch the Lakers. It has nothing to do with the Lakers, but just seeing if we're what it's going to do for the the Pelicans' draft status.
1: We almost and if I hadn't brought it up, we would have made it the entire way through this podcast without mentioning the Lakers. But that's appropriate considering what has happened so far. I will leave you with that. Thank you so much, Mo. Oh, thank you for having me, Danny. Thanks so much to Mo DeKeel for taking the time to come on. You can follow him on Twitter at Mo DeKeel underscore NBA, M O D A K H I L underscore NBA. Love having him on. You can, of course, check out his other great work the Athletic NBA show, Bleacher Report, Twitch. Twitter, one more thing, so many great different elements of what he does, and I'm so jealous of his work with video. It was something we talked about at Summer League, and he and Nikias and Steve Jones, I I can't figure out how they watch games and do what they do, but they're just more adept at this stuff than I am, so that is great. I'm so thankful that they are out there in the discourse. And if you want to support this show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe in whatever podcast player you choose, download every episode, Spotify, Apple, really wherever, really do appreciate that. And you can help other people find the show. That could be through leaving a rating and review in the podcast player if you're choosing. It could be through social media, word of mouth, really however you want to do that to help other people find the show. And most importantly for this show and any other that has them, you can check out Our sponsors for this episode, that is betonline.ag with that CLNS50 promo code to get yourself a 50% welcome bonus and to tell them that you came from us, so hopefully they keep advertising. You can also check out my other work, Dunked On and Dunked On Prime, Rolling Strong through everything, first 15 and 60 will be on Sunday night unless something changes, which I don't think that it will, and we are doing the NBA strategy stream roughly weekly. This upcoming one is actually going to be on Sunday, on Sunday we're doing knicks Cavs, which is a 6 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 Pacific start. Should be a fun one. Excited. We've been doing the prep for that. And... Also, have written words at The Athletic. I've submitted one piece. I think it's going to come out early next week, and I have a second one that's basically ready to roll as well, so I'm guessing that will be next week as well. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is a promise. I do not promise to reply, but I try to do my best. That's something that I'm, I'm trying to work on and continue to. But that is all for now, so thank you so much for listening. Take care, and make it a great day.